what uh, we'd like um, for you to do, actually, is um, to to find someone uh, to talk with. You're going to uh, go into groups of two or three, and um, you're you know you're just going to let's just do that and I'm going to guide it because I'd like to guide us into an inquiry together and then you're going to bring back that into the group. Okay, so we're, we're just going to, I just want um, us to have a conversation about what we've both said and what is evoked in you, what's invoked in you from, from this input and from not only the input, from what you know we're referring to in the context. So what, what's present for you? And as we're going to do this, we're going to do it in a, in a meditative way so I'm just going to, you know, have uh, each person talk uh, for 10 minutes and I'm going to ring the bell so it's quite meditative. Um, and to try and refer it, not just go off into an a- academic kind of um, diagnostic of, of what we know, but to really feel what, what is the impact of really feeling and being with um, the eco-destruction that we're living in the midst of, the sixth extinction of um, of um, of uh, of so much uh, uh, wildlife the encapsulation of and the killing of uh, 52 billion animals on the planet a day for our food and the destruction of the rainforests and the and the kind of the threat to our now here in the US the, the floods and the fires and the sense of this destabilization the extremity of the ego consciousness reflected in the, the power dynamics, political dynamics, and how, and then the, the shaping and the um, places from the systems that we've lived in as they affect us. How do they feel? Patriarchy, capitalism, white supremacy, you know, these are all things we all live in. It's not, you know, it's uh, these sort of power hierarchies what what does how does it feel in the body so so let's just sit for a moment before we even connect and just take take your close your eyes and just go into your own system and just see what was present for you from from and you know and, the, and maybe the, the 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 power and the beauty of connecting with the ancestors of this land but also maybe the sorrow of the loss of something the loss of roots not knowing our roots you see what's arising maybe as feeling tone, as image, as narrative. And from that, some of um, what you might share. And uh, between sharing, we'll go back. So you don't have to remember when it comes to your turn. There might be something fresh or been sparked from what you've heard. But we're going to start the person with the, the shortish hair, shortest hair, um, more or less. Um, not, you just have to decide, someone, if you've both got exactly the equal length of hair. I don't know what to do about that. So there's someone to speak first, and it's going to be very meditative. So I want you, as you're speaking, to really feel into your body. Um, be aware of your awareness in yourself. Um, the person listening, try to listen without your agenda popping up. Oh, yeah, I want to say this. Don't say anything. Just listen. Listen to your body, listen to yourself, listen to the other person. Listen, you're both also listening to the field, what's con- connected between you, what's here in the group as we talk. So for it'll be about 10 minutes each if you're in twos. If you're, um... 
So we'll take some time to have an open conversation and just hear from each other what has come up this morning, what you'd like to share, any inquiries or questions you might have. And I believe someone will have a mic. Kathy will have a mic to bring around. Thank you, Kathy. Good morning, I'll start. I don't like diets, especially since I have no base opinion of things. There's just too many things to be opined on. And I was raised, things weren't complicated like this when I was being raised. It was just do your thing, get your grades, get married, have kids, retire, and I guess die, as long as you pay your taxes. Um, real briefly, I said to um, Diane, I said, I believe the beginning of a lot of the problems and global warming were the smoke signals from the indigenous people. They started with the smoke. And she says, not really, 200 years ago, it was proven through glacial findings that it's been the past 200 years that this planet has gotten darker because of the smoke in the sky. And so right there is a conversation that we just opened up to all brand things, you know, all things. But I also made her aware that I was avoiding the topic of what is the pain and the suffering, the cause of all this, by deciding to argue that it wasn't 10 minutes, it's longer than 10 minutes, or it's, I see things this way and you see it that way, just to avoid the topic. So I was able to have a conversation, but nothing was said for quite a while, while I was dancing around the depression and the, and the reality that I don't want to face. Because I've cleaned my plate off because I don't want to be too busy. And then all of a sudden, the world came in and dropped tornadoes and global warming. And, and it seems now I'm a privileged person because of the color of my skin. And all these things that didn't, weren't there 10 years ago. But seven years ago, I started to meditate. And at least, I'm open to it. So now I'm always uncomfortable because comfort's on one side. The middle way is here. And the new way, which you're going to, Please teach us today because <laughs> you've kind of left us on the cliff. You know, you, every so often you get a feeling of freedom, but it's like behind a glass pane. You can't really get to it yet. And so th that uncomfortability, I guess, if it's global-wide, will, wide will help lift because there's more people looking for an answer and to be part of the answer. And I see the younger generation a lot. I think consciousness in the planet has raised since the hippies started to question, and then the people that started these um, centers went over to the wisdom of the East and brought it back West. And I think things were changing. If that didn't happen back in the 60s, I'd still be, you know, top of the heap of um, ignorance. Because it's just what your parents taught you, what their parents taught you, what they and going back to the caveman. So, so thank you. Thanks. You know, yeah. I, I heard this, um, can't remember who, who sent it to me or posted it, but it's a phrase from Lama Rod, who was here um, this past week teaching at New York Insight, and he said, you know, don't waste your pain. That this tendency, which is so natural to just move away from that pain, that, that is the suffering. That's the form of clinging. So that, that pain that we're trying to maneuver our way around with jokes or avoidance or you know, that that's the opportunity don't waste it so 
Thank you for sharing. Hi. Something came up when the sh in the sharing. I was I, I saw a film made by the Native people in, that are fighting the pipeline, and I've seen all these reports on the news, and it, I, I got it in my mind, but I didn't feel it in my heart. And this was done by some of those Native folks, and it starts with a, a, a shot of these horsemen, horsemen and women riding, and it's he said I might cry. It said. Um, Crazy horse, I hear you. The land is, you don't sell your land. The water is my blood. And they're riding, riding, and this guy is talking. And then there's these drummers, and, the, and they ride around. There's people around the drummers, and then the horse folk come in. And he keeps saying, crazy horse, I hear you. And it was, it was a story by the people about what was going on. It was the first time I felt it. I felt the anger. I felt the connection. I felt the beauty. I felt it all, because it was their story told by them. And lastly, I have a story. My great-grandfather escaped slavery, in, in, enslavement in Kentucky. And I wrote it as a magazine article, but I've always meant to get back to it. I never did. And my baby cousin, uh, what is he? He's my grandnephew, is two. And he'll never get this story if I don't write this stuff down. And I'm, doing, I'm writing a novel. I'm doing this other little stuff, you know. But i got to write that story. I didn't, that's what came out. Beautiful. Um, I had a very beautiful chat. I had a very uh, touching conversation with her, Jane. And um, because in a way, um, there were two um, uh, sort of feelings that came up as, as you were talking. One is that we're both bicultural. And um, we have... Um, our heart is on our homeland, but we we want to live here. And what what is it that our homeland represents? Which for me is the earth. And um, I was telling her the story of how I um, <clears throat> when I came to New York, it was it, I was depressed mostly because of the lack of light. And ever since I've been here, I'm like a hungry person always walking on the sunny side of the street. And I have three children and I always tell them, please walk on the sunny side of the street. You know, and, uh, and uh, so this hunger for any shred of nature, you know, f to touch you. And um, it, it, was, it was very um, resonating talk to Jane because in many ways we come from other parts of the world where you know people are more in touch with with nature mm -hmm. yeah beautiful where are you from Maria Peru Peru yeah we have a friend and colleague Dara Williams and she always invites us um, to find we are nature so the sun and the water all the elements the earth the fire is within us and that's an instruction in the, the Buddha Dharma of one of the foundations of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body and so we can touch that. But she also invites us, even in the city, you know, now taking a shower, I think, oh, water, water, water. Or when I'm heating food, I think fire, fire, fire. That we can touch the elements mm -hmm. in any moment and, and, you know, hopefully the sun is shining when we're walking down the street too. <laughs> 
I loved what you said when we saw the cabbages growing along 6th Avenue. Thank you. So, what was there for me is that um, I've always thought it was important to take a stand. Well, I've always thought it was important to take a stand about things that you saw and you believed in, whether it was civil rights or uh, anti-war or the environment. And I think that there was a, uh, particularly recently, it became apparent that although it seems very, um, it seems almost innate to believe in these things, they just seem so obvious that there's a huge dichotomy in, in awareness and consciousness about these things. And there are just as many people who do not believe that the environment is our biggest problem and who do not believe that there is something wrong with corporate farming of livestock and the way that animals are tortured and treated. And so you say, now, is the best way to approach this in opposition, to take a stand the way that we did in the 60s? Um, and did that work? Well, it seemed to work. There seems to be a movement of consciousness over time. But like with everything else, there's an action and a reaction. And the reaction we're living through right now, we see that for as committed as we were to what we believed in, there have now become people who are just as committed to the opposition to that awareness. And so finding the way that we're, I'm not so sure that the way that we did it then works in the long run, although I think it's kind of like New York real estate prices. Even if it goes down a little, it always goes up again. So I think we're moving in a direction of more awareness about these things. But I'm kind of settling into that the way to uh, influence the people who do not see it that way is through self-awareness and then the ability to have that become viral, to have the self-awareness, uh, mindfulness, meditation, how important that could be to have that be something that other people see and want to be, want to find for themselves. I think that, um, and I, I don't know, I mean, I've always been kind of combative and uh, I'm wondering if I've been going in the wrong direction. I think these are good questions to ponder um, and, you know, not kind of going into it's this or that solution because it's not really this or that um, because we've seen effectiveness from from approaching it from different ways, you know, combative or non or relational and building bridges. And, and you'll find that people will have their own way. You know, and I think when we listen, keep listening into the living truth of what we're not in the 1960s and that had a particular resonance and effect and wave um, that carried on. And there, yes, there's a reaction 
Um, and part of the reaction that's happening now is actually because of the many advances that were made in, in, in civil rights and gay, uh, gay uh, liberation rights and in uh, feminism and in environmental advances in the COP21 global treaty. You know, it's not far enough, but it was, that's a significant human you know, there was like a there's a there's this movement of actually um, that was actually significantly positive, and I think part of what we're seeing is a sort of more primitive reaction to that, and in, including having had a black president here. You know, there's a very guttural reaction to want to undo that whole agenda, and there's, there's a very deep uh, racist aspect of the shadow. In it's not so much in the shadow, never has been really but right there in the heart of the American dynamic. So, so we have to see that also in a context. This, that that reaction is not going to last either, but it's like a dinosaur holding its ground um, and trying to control everything. Well, you can't, you know, because it's new life, the demographics, everything's changing. So, you know, in terms of how you feel and we find our way, I think it's, we list, keep re-listening into, is it, you know, do I resist this? Do I actually go out on the streets on this issue? Do I make a bridge. It's not one strategy, and it's not where we're in one groove. Yeah. Mm. I think it's also why it was so important, even if it was depressing to Nisra, you know, that we context <laughs> how long this has been, because the karma of it, you know, we're, we're working with the karma of thousands of years of oppression, of patriarchal, hundreds of years of colonialism and ravaging the earth with capitalistic hunger. So it's not going to be one decade of activity, of radicalism that might change it. And to, and to really be able to hold that, to sit with mm, that pain of that reality so that um, you know, we, we approach it not so much that we might fix it, but that we don't get caught in it again that we can connect to this liberated heart that's right here and move through the world that way, you know, really let go of the outcome idea. Not, not that we don't want things to change, but I, I think it's so important that we, we do this historical situating, which we, we don't often do. You know, we think, oh, we're in the Dharma, we're just going to practice. But to really acknowledge, you know, if we're going to understand, stand under what, what is the personal and collective suffering, we have to understand the historical context and how deep and how wide it is. Very good. Yeah, we won't, you know, it's one, one thing that Dalai Lama said was that, you know, we're not doing this to see the results ourselves in our lifetime necessarily. We're planting seeds and a lot of this, those results will be, show up later on down the road. Yeah. I wanted to just thank you for that opening ceremony. I mean, it felt like ceremony to me um, and I'm not used to it. Um, can you hold it Anu? yeah like an ice cream cone right (laughs) Um, yeah it feels like you know there's there's every time I I start a sit or a retreat or a you know this this heart dislocation that I kind of generally feel living my life it's it's so present in these um in, in these in these sanghas that we're developing around at least the states, I haven't practiced overseas, but um, 
And I've never understood it. I don't understand why people just kind of take these cushions and sit and kind of shut out the suffering all around them. But it's, it's, felt, it's felt to my heart like that. Um, and then, then sometimes there's sort of like this, it's like the one person of color faculty member may, might sort of acknowledge the suffering of peoples at the beginning of a retreat. And, and it feels very, um, it doesn't feel like enough. It feels like that person has been called to do the work of all of us, <laughs> you know, and then it's sort of forgotten the second we start the real practice. Um, and it hurts, it really hurts. Uh, you know, why isn't this a collective practice of honor, honoring history, history of how these systems are created? Um, so I, I want to thank you. I felt, I felt something very powerful, and it wasn't two minutes. It felt very real. Um, and the animals, gosh, the animals get left out. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you both, um, Lind. I feel that really resonated with me, the chant. Uh, that was such a beautiful ritual, ceremony, I feel. Um, the connection to the earth has become very visceral for me. And so I just, uh, I just can't stop crying, honestly, <laughs> with that history. It's just a profan- profound sense of grief and loss for the indigenous people and us all, really, for what this land has gone through and what the people have gone through. And um, I felt a, a need to ask for forgiveness and blessings from these ancestors of this land. Beautiful. Um, really, that's when the chant started. That's really, I felt a sense of cleansing and asking for those two things to continue to bless us despite what we have done. So, thank you. Thank you, and thank you for offering all of us that. Hi. Hi. Um, I was, um, I have been reflecting a lot on the the concept of uh, otherness and sameness and when we were sharing here, um, uh, Angela said about this is not my story and this is my story. And, and I, was, I have been thinking that no, no matter where we are, it's a very confusing time. No matter how much consciousness we have, no matter how material wealth or how philosophical or how practice, it's a confusing time. And, um, and we are here together. And so sometimes when we keep talking about the other, the other, the other, you know, no matter how much I have done and I practice or, you know, we, all, we are all here in the same confusion time. And so what has been helping me a lot, it's... Um, uh, to to accept and to have some calmness and peace is exactly to go back to my heart and to the present. It's like, okay, what can I do? Sometimes I feel like I have no power to do anything, but I have the power just to see what's in front of me and be here 
and breathe and do what's right here. Um, yeah, that's what I have been reflecting a lot. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah there's that, that image uh, from the suttas of when a cow's stuck in the mud and you want to go and help it and you go and join the cow, you know, and you both sink. It doesn't help, you know, that you, you need to have some solid ground from which to help pull someone in the mud. Um, and, you know, so that balance of, of being engaged and going out and then finding what is that simplicity of returning and finding our own ground, one breath, you know, and to keep returning to that sense of refuge as, a, as, as an orientation, that, that often that gets divorced from the actions. And then we are not resonant at a deeper level with what's really responsive and true and authentic, so... Maybe that's a good place to yeah, very good place practice. Um, you no, know, and I have been spending the past few days together, and um, a few times reflecting on how these teachings are so vast and so deep and complex, and you could almost pull a teaching to make any argument (laughs) um, and to take any perspective. And I don't think that's a mistake. I think that makes these teachings very adaptable and um, corrective to the stream of our time, right? The Buddha spoke of it as against the stream. Well, we're against the tsunami at this point. And so what, what teachings are corrective or balancing for us For me, I've noticed um, in myself and in the culture around me this tendency for doing and acting. And the teachings, as we've um, interpreted them, kind of emphasize that yang energy, you know, that uh, upright, transcendent, active warrior, you know, even the posture, sitting up. And perhaps the corrective energy that we need is a yin energy, you know, a more feminine, receptive. And receptive doesn't mean passive. It, it means really uh, ready to open and allow for whatever response is needed. So this generative receptivity Like Tanissa was saying, patriarchy has no gender, it has no winners either. And so we all could benefit from perhaps emphasizing, rebalancing with this yin energy. I read a quote this morning in my email from a listserv that stated, rest is an act of resistance. So can we really resonate with that? We all have sort of guilt around not doing enough, whether that's as activists or as professionals or as family members or parents. Can we see rest as central to our practice? And can we find where in the teachings there's the call for that? 
There's the invitation into rest. So before we move into lunch, we're going to invite you into a meditation that is fully restful. So I'm going to invite you to lie down, if you'd like, 